Let's uh, open our Bibles today to John chapter 14. We're going to start in John 14. You'll find that in the book rack Bible there on page 1676. We're in John chapter 14. There's an outline perhaps you grab coming in or you can open your Three Crosses app. That's a great way to uh, follow along this morning. We're in a series called Rooted, helping us realize what it means to live the supernatural life. And what we mean by that is when the Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives, we live a supernatural life. We're not trying to just, you know, tweak our lives to become better people. We are letting the Spirit of God transform us supernaturally. That's crazy to think about, but that's the truth. There's a supernatural transformation that's happening in our lives when the Holy Spirit comes in to live in our lives. And we've been nestled in this beautiful passage in Galatians, which I'm going to just refer to today because we're going to stay in John chapter 14 and we'll be in other places of Scripture this morning too. But in Galatians chapter 5, we learn about these nine beautiful virtues that the Holy Spirit, when He lives in us and has His way in us, begins to develop powerfully in us and through us. The nine virtues of the Spirit. And if you remember them or if you can cite them with me, let's just rehearse them, okay? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those nine traits are supernatural virtues that God gives to us through His Holy Spirit. And so we should be coming more and more like Jesus with every passing day if we're just yielding our lives to the Spirit. So the, here's the big question. The people that live around us, the people that work with us, the people that go to school with us, the people that meet us on the, on the BART train, the people that are around us in any kind of venue or setting, are they seeing those qualities, those attributes coming through our lives? They ought to be if we know Christ because the Spirit of God supernaturally is transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And those qualities belong to Jesus. And that's why we're going to drop into John chapter 14 today because we've been togging, toggling this series with uh, the life of Christ. And we're looking at either his life or his teaching as a way of sort of zeroing in a little bit more on these amazing qualities. So, so far, we've looked at love, we've looked at joy, and today we come to the third installment here. We're going to talk about peace. Everybody needs peace. The world needs peace. Wouldn't you agree? There's so much lack of peace. There's so much disturbance of peace. And sometimes, you know what? Our peace is disturbed sometimes even on our way to church. You know, I can remember as a kid going to church with my two siblings and my parents, and I remember sometimes we had some raging fights on the way to church. You know, because we wouldn't get along. The kids, we were giving mom and dad trouble, you know, and by the time we got to the church, everyone was just a mess. Now, some of us are laughing about that because we've had the same experience. And so then we decide we're not going to drive with our family anymore. We're taking separate cars. Now we got parking problems because of that. See, so get, get back together with your family and come to church as a family, okay? It's a little shameless plug on our parking situation. Anyway, <laughs> we need peace. Now, it goes without saying that, that the world needs peace. But think about the world that had peace. And I'm talking about that season where God created Adam and Eve, placed them in the garden, perfection, wholeness, completeness, absence of any 
conflict, any threat, any crisis, nothing but abundance, health, safety. Can you imagine? That's called the shalom of God, the ultimate peace of God. And then the serpent and temptation enter, and sin enters the picture, man rebellion against God, and the world has lacked peace ever since. The world is a mess today because of what took place in the garden those many years ago. Now think about your home. Think about your relationships. Think about the neighborhood you live in. Think about your workplace. Think about schools. Think about politics. (laughs) Think about all these places where there's a, a complete lack of peace. And sometimes I think we feel like Job felt when he said in Job 3.26, listen to this, we'll put it on the screen, I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. (laughs) Do you ever feel like that? That's the way the world feels every day. Just no peace, no sense of anything but turmoil and problems. So what does peace look like? What is peace? And if you had it, would you know you had it? And if you had it, could you give it away? You know, one thing I've learned about peace is that there are beautiful things in life that do bring us a sense of peace. You know, that there's uh, I, just some little windows into my own life. Um, I love kayaking in the ocean. And um, one of the most beautiful, peaceful moments for me is to be in the ocean. I don't know if we've got a picture. We're, I was going to show a little clip. I don't know if we got it. Do we? Yeah, okay, so this is me in the ocean. That's me. My, bro- my son-in-law brought a drone on the last little trip we took, and he shot me from, I don't know, 800 feet or something. And when I'm out in a kayak, out in the ocean, it is just like absolute peace, tranquility, gorgeous blue water, occasionally a whale, seals. Once in a while, the thought of a great white, peace goes away for just a second. <laughs> but it's so beautiful, and it's so serene, and it's, it's just kind of that moment um, another way that I find, you know, that momentary peace is when I'm backpacking. And uh, when I'm out in the mountains in the high Sierra and I've got my pack on and I'm just walking across some granite ridge, uh, just thinking about life and thinking about the Lord, there's just something very beautiful about that. My friend Dan went with me this last May and something about a fire, you know, sitting around a fire. Here he is, you know, we make camp and just building a fire. Have you ever stared into a fire for a period of time just seeing the beauty of the flames and just it's sort of tranquil. It's, that's a beautiful thing. All these things, well, I don't know what it is for you. Everybody's got their thing. Maybe it's flying for you or maybe it's taking a walk or maybe it's sitting next to a creek or a, a lake or sitting quietly at home or sitting on a white sand beach with somebody that you love in the South Pacific somewhere. I don't know what it is for you, but we've all got these little elements of peace. But what we're going to learn this morning is that Peace is more than just those things. It's way more. It's way bigger. Those things are momentary things of peace. And God has something way better for us, a supernatural peace that is with us all the time. So here in John 14, we're going to pick it up in verse 25, and let me just read down a couple of verses here. We're just 25 through 27. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, All this I have spoken while still with you, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
Now, right there, captured in just really one simple verse, verse 27, we have the link between the power of the Holy Spirit supernaturally transforming us into this thing called peace that Jesus alone offers us. And so we want to just pull that apart a little bit this morning and see what Jesus was saying to his disciples and by extension, each and every one of us. First, four things about this in verse 27 I want you to see. First of all, peace isn't merely the absence of conflict and trials. Peace is not merely the absence of conflict and trials. So when I'm out in my kayak, you know, this kind of momentary peace, but if I start thinking about my problems, all of a sudden the peace goes away, right? I mean, there's, there's this, this, this engagement. There's a momentary thing that can happen in spatial areas that we call peace, But peace, true peace, God's peace for us, isn't merely the absence of conflict and trials. And the inference here is to what's going on in the context of what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Now, all of us know that there can be moments in our lives where we sort of freeze frame and we create some kind of peace. You know when you're a parent, you've got young kids, and uh, this happened in our family. Of course, it happened in the family I grew up in, three, you know, two siblings, and then my own family. I had three daughters, and there were times where the kids just wouldn't get along, right? And so parents, you know, have to start doing discipline, and okay, you guys got to quit fighting, you know, separate you out. But sometimes it escalates, and it gets crazy as little kids, right? It just gets wild. And so you're bigger, you're a stronger person, right? And so then you start levying, you know, your threats. And, you know, you, if the, the next person that says a word is going to be grounded until they're in college, you know, that kind of thing. And there's sort of an enforced peace that is made in that, in that situation. But is it really peace? I mean, the kids are silent. There's no talking. But there's also no laughter. And there's no fun. And there's no wholeness. It's an enforced peace. And this is, of course, in contrast to what Jesus is saying here. Because remember, in in the Greco-Roman world where Jesus is saying this to his disciples, there was the Pax Romana, started in 18 B.C. and went all the way to about 200 A.D. where um, Augustus declared, you know, this peace over Rome, a ceasing of civil war all throughout Rome. And for a couple of hundred years, the Pax Romana ruled in, in this ancient area of the world. But it was a forced peace. It was, a, you know, you mess with Rome and, and you messed with the wrong, <laughs> the wrong people. And so you could get into a lot of trouble by messing with that peace. So there was relative peace, but not a deep peace. You know, sometimes we look at peace that way in, in our own lives. If we just had all the stuff we wanted, the relationships we wanted, we would finally have peace. Uh, you know, I grew up in a little neighborhood across the bay where there was a family down the street that had all kinds of stuff. They had all the toys. They had a swimming pool. They had a big house. And they were sort of like the, the, the family that had made it. But there was also a lot of fa- fighting and strife in that family and a lot of crazy stuff that went on in that, in that home. And as I observed that as a kid, I thought to myself, And, of course, we had our own squabbles in our family, but they kind of took it to a whole different level. You know, like when the kids got to high school, there were police cars coming to the house, and there was that kind of thing going on. And I remember reading early on in my life, and it's been a verse that I've thought about a bunch since, Proverbs 17.1, that says, Better a dry crust with peace than a house full of feasting with strife. I mean, a lot of us, doesn't that resonate? There's something about, you know, just have a morsel of food, but be in a place where there's actual tranquility and just makes a difference. 
So the point is, you don't have to have stuff. You don't have to have your life all in order. You don't have to have everything going just right for you to really have peace. Because peace, in essence, is not just the absence of conflict. It's something much deeper and richer than that. So the context of John 14, when Jesus is saying this, this is what's remarkable. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Think about it. Jesus is on his way to the cross. And so if, if peace is a lack of you know, conflict or strife, uh, how could Jesus ha- be at peace here? Because he's, he's going to battle. He's actually going to give his life. And just a few hours from this word that he's giving his disciples, he's going to be nailed to a cross. So peace, can- Jesus says, this is my peace. Back at just a couple of chapters in John 12, 27, Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, what's amazing about that is notice Jesus says, my soul is troubled. And here in chapter 14, he says, my peace I give to you. So there's a peace that actually rides in current with the trouble that we face in our lives. And that's why if you flip over just a page in John 16, verse 33, Another word that Jesus gives here, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. In this world you will have what? Trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is not separating uh, trouble from the reality of experiencing peace. And so some of you right now are realizing, oh, wait a minute, you know, I thought I had to have all of my problems taken care of before I could find peace. And actually, the reality is you can be in the midst of problems and have peace. You can be right in the thick of it and have peace. I have another friend. His name is Mike, and I, I meant to show a picture of him, but I, I didn't get it, I don't think. Anyway, Mike is a, a good brother of mine. He attended our church for a bunch. Now he's under hospice care. He lives out in Pleasanton. He had voice box cancer, and so eventually he lost his voice. They took out his voice box, um, and for the last, I don't know, year or more, two years, he's been using a little writing pad, and so every now and then I go out and I visit Mike, and he's just a dear guy, and, and he's getting really close to the end of his journey. But, you know, every time I leave his house, I'm just so touched by the peace that he has in the midst of this trial that he's been under. Um, he's got some family, but they've kind of distanced themselves from him. He's a Christian. He's kind of the only really solid believer in his family. And so among his siblings, there's not, well, he has a sister that's a believer. Um, she's been a real joy to him uh, during this time. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a convoluted, confusing, difficult time for him. But you know what? There's peace in his heart because he knows Christ. And Jesus has given him his peace. I want to show you a picture of uh, some friends of mine. They're, they're also a part of our church. I'm not even going to mention their name, uh, but um, we'll call them Frank and Lucille, okay. Um, they're, uh, they're going, to, they, they, right now, this, I, this was just a couple weeks ago. This was two days before they left this area. They've been in our church forever. They, they sold everything that they have, and they're moving to a country that is closed to the gospel so they can share the gospel uh, and, and help pastors and help churches uh, in their native land. And, you know, I, as we sat here in our cafe and talked about it, do you see their smiles? Do you see their face? This is how full of joy they are and full of peace in sort of like cashing out of everything they have in the United States. They have kind of burned the ships, if you know what I'm saying. They landed like, 
you know, Cortez and his troops, they landed, they got out, they got on shore, and they burned the ships. And that's what they did. They sold everything they had. They moved to a country far away just so they could be a blessing to God's people and to reach people for the gospel. And just peace over their lives. They said, are you crazy? What's going on? And they're like, we have so much peace. This is amazing. They're leaving their kids, their grandkids behind here. And they're going to visit. Sure, they'll visit, but it's a different life. But peace. You don't have to have an absence of conflict to have peace. I think of the, the priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6. If you're quick in your Bibles, go back to Numbers real quick. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 6. This is the priestly blessing that God told Moses to give to the people as they were entering the promised land. And listen to this. This is amazing. Chapter 6, number 6. Verse 24, you've heard this before. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. This was the priestly blessing. So, you, uh, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. He wants, God is saying, this is the blessing to my people. Now, what's interesting about that context, he says the Lord turns his face to you and give you peace as you go out and do battle with the nations you're going to take possession of. So here at the onset of a great battle that is about to get underway, the blessing comes of God's peace. You know, you might be facing a huge battle. You don't even know it yet. Tomorrow morning, this week, the doctor visit. Who knows what's going to happen in any of our lives this week? God knows the battle that we're going into. And I, I don't know, for somebody, this is going to be kind of a prophetic word to you. When you look at the battle that you're facing, God is saying, I want to put peace over your life. I want you to experience my peace, a peace that cannot be taken away and is not determined by the circumstances that you're going through. That's the first thing I want you to see about peace. By the way, before we move off of that, the Greek word peace in the, in the Greek language, eirene, uh, it's the Old Testament equivalent of shalom. And shalom in the Old Testament, beautiful word. It, you know, if you're, if you're in Israel, uh, people greet you with shalom and they say goodbye to you with shalom. And it literally means, it doesn't mean absence of conflict. It means wholeness, completeness. It's not so much the absence of something, but the fullness of something. It's the fullness of God meeting the, the issues of our lives. And in that fullness, there is peace. I was thinking this morning about all the New Testament letters of Paul, and he always opened them with grace and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace, what God gives to us, the unmerited favor of God, and peace, what we experience as a result of his grace. Peace in our lives. Not an absence of conflict. Number two, peace is granted to us by Jesus Christ alone. Notice there in verse 27, back to John now, if you're there, John chapter 14, 27 again. I want you to emphasize, or I want to emphasize that the, the words I there, uh, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, Jesus says. This reminds us or informs us that peace, true peace, is found in a person. It's found in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember that Jesus is our agent of peace, peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Romans 5, 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And think about the prophetic announcement of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Peace. 
and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Jesus is our agent of peace. It's, if you know Jesus, you have peace. Without Jesus, you have no peace. You don't have the peace that God intends for you. Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. I love in every message looking for the cross, and here's where the cross comes in. It is the cross of Jesus Christ which affords to us peace because Jesus alone is our peacemaker. This morning is a communion day. We're going to share in the beautiful meal that the Lord uh, offers to us and, and as a remembrance of what he did for us. And right here, right here in the segment that Jesus says, he says to his disciples, I am your peace. I am the peace that you need. So we reflect on that and we take that into our hearts this morning. Embedded in the blessing of peace is the result of possessing it. Sleep, safety, quietness, confidence forever. Listen to Psalm 4.8. I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Isaiah 32.17. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. Do you see all the descriptions of what peace does? Quietness, confidence, safety, even sleep. Some people can't sleep because of a lack of peace in their lives. And there's other reasons why we don't sleep at times. But sometimes because we are struggling with understanding or experiencing that peace or welcoming that peace in our lives or turning to Jesus in our lives, we forget that peace is in Him alone. What happens when Jesus becomes our peace? Well, number two things, quickly. Having this peace with God creates a peace between us and others in God's family. Quickly over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Chapter 2, Ephesians, if you'd like to follow me there quickly. We're not going to put it on the screen. It's a little larger section of Scripture, but verse 11 speaks about this amazing transformation that happens when we are made at peace with God. Verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who are called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Verse 12, Chapter 2, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Look at verse 14. For he himself is our what? Our peace, who has made the two groups into one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, that's us, the Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, that was the Jewish community. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So the point is, out of that passage, is that we have been made at peace with God through Christ, and that peace makes us at peace with everyone else who has peace with God. And so it is no longer the Jew-Gentile conflict. In the New Testament, that was the big conflict. No longer that conflict. We should not let anything, any uh, social, uh, political, racial issue separate us. If we are in Christ, if we belong to Christ, then we are one with others who are one with Christ also. 
Now, number two, check this out. Having this peace motivates us to be peacemakers wherever conflict arises or exists. And so we are to be instruments of peace. I love St. Francis of Assisi. You remember the great friar, 12th century friar, who was known for having said this, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Do you see yourself as an instrument of peace? In every situation you may find yourself in to be an instrument of peace? I love Romans 12, 18. It's sort of an uncomfortable verse in some ways, but it says, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It is our duty as followers of Christ to live at peace with everyone if possible. It's not always possible. There are some people that just do not want to be at peace with us. (laughs) Have you ever met someone like that? (laughs) And are they sitting next to you right now? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know, sometimes people just don't want to be at peace. And those are often people who have never met the peacemaker, Jesus. The one who can really make and give peace. And by the way, Keeping peace, is eff- it takes effort. Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Hebrews 12.14, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Romans 14.19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. What is the kingdom described as in Romans 14.17? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 5.9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You sowing peace? You pursuing peace? You trying to be a peacemaker in your family, peacemaker in your neighborhood, peacemaker among people that don't want to be at peace with each other? There's so many people that love to fight. Everybody loves to fight these days. How about we just choose peace and and pursue peace? It's not the absence of conflict or trials. It's something that only Jesus can give us. A third thing I noticed about peace here in John 14 is that other sources of peace eventually fall short. Do you notice Jesus says, I do not give to you as the world gives. That is an amazing truth. I do not give to you as the world gives. What Jesus is saying is there are a lot of false pieces out there. Have you ever met somebody, you begin to build relationship and there's a trust starting to develop and you feel like you can start saying some of the hard things and so eventually you bring the gospel to that person and the person says, uh, it's okay, I'm good. I, I have total peace in my life. And I think to myself, No, you don't. You should not have peace. If you are at enmity with God and you have not made your peace with God, you have no basis for peace in your life. You should be a wreck. Really? Until you come to knowing the peace of God's forgiveness in your life? I mean, I've had people literally say to me, don't worry about me, Larry. I have total peace with where I am with God. And this is a person that does not know Christ 
and has never had a relationship with God. And they're telling me, just back off because I'm at peace. Are they worried? Not at all. Due to the blindness of their heart, the blindness of their spiritual condition, they have concocted a false peace in their life to where they can say, I have no issue at all. God and I are just, we're fine. (laughs) Nothing could be further from the truth. They're going to stand before God someday and give it an account and be separated eternally from God and placed in a place that was created for the devil and his angels, a place called hell. And if a person really understood that, could they say, oh, I'm good with God, no problem, if they didn't trust in Christ's provision for them? I remember, I've told this story before, but I'm going to just share it from two different angles today. I was on a Southwest airline from L.A. to San Francisco, uh, Oakland, and uh, I've told you the story. I'm not going to repeat it, but it, we hit turbulence, and the plane literally did a barrel roll, like starting over like this. And I, I was right in the context of sharing the gospel with a little girl. Uh, she was about a 12, 11-year-old girl sitting next to me, and the guys around me, when we started into this little story, they just kind of put the newspaper up. Like, Anybody else want to listen to this? It's a great story. Everybody, eh, not interested. After the barrel roll, everybody was interested. It was amazing. This little revival breaks out on Southwest Bulkhead Airline. But the other part of that story that I've never really told was in those six to eight seconds where the plane was starting to arc like this and starting to go over like this. I'm looking down through the window, straight down at the ground. And for just a few brief seconds, I really was convinced this is not going to end well. But at the same second, in those little brief seconds, I had this overwhelming peace in my heart. It was so beautiful. It was like, okay, this is the way it was going to (laughs) be. And then the plane comes back, and then the people are like, go on with the story, and all this stuff went back. (laughs) I'm glad I have that peace. Do you have that peace? If you have peace other than in the person of Jesus Christ, It's a false peace, and it's going to crumble. And someday you will stand before the God of heaven, and you will realize you forsook his gracious, merciful, loving gift in his Son. I do not give to you, Jesus says, as the world gives. I love Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. The last thing, quickly, the peace that, gives, that Jesus gives cancels fear and generates courage. Look at the end of this in verse 27. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You know what peace does? Peace gives you a quiet confidence to face whatever it is that you're going through. And that's why the Apostle Paul would say, in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So you can face your 16-year-old daughter who tells you she's pregnant. Or your 18-year-old son who says that he's hooked on crystal meth. Or your estranged spouse that says, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. 
You can face all of that with confidence and courage because of His peace. And His peace is good enough forever. Amen? Now, this morning, we're going to pass these elements. The service isn't over. In fact, I have prayed all week. I've said, Lord, would you manifest your peace to us as we partake in these elements? There's some of us here today who are filled with anxiety. We're troubled in spirit. Would you receive these elements in just a moment? We'll all partake together. But as we distribute these elements, will you just ask the Spirit of God to reveal the peace of Christ in your heart? And if you've never opened your life to Jesus, will you right here, right now, confess that you're a sinner and need Jesus to be your Savior? And He'll come into your life today, right now.